yeah, so I want to welcome you this morning. E te whanau, a te karaiti, ngā mihi aroa ki a tātou katoa. Nau mai ki tēnei whare karakia o tātou. Uh, ka nui te koa me te uh, hari, koa hui mai tātou i tēnei rā, tēnā koutou katoa. Warm greetings to you all. Welcome to church. It's a joy that we are able to gather here this morning. Well, we've come around the Word of God, uh, and so you can go on ahead and take out your Bibles. You can take out your sermon notes. We're going to go straight to the Word. Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 7. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Here's what it says. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Lord, you're our refuge. Lord, you're our shield. Lord, you're our strength. God, we place our hope in your word. If you said it, that settles it. And God, we absolutely believe it. And so this morning, in this moment, God, we bring ourselves under the authority of your word. And I pray, God, that you would speak to us, shape us, mold us, make us into the people that you want us to be through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you were getting a story of some sort and the story started, you know, it was very obvious the story was going to get on your nerve and so then you responded prematurely, but then you realize that towards the end of the story, actually, this was a really, really good story. And so it was too late to kind of like retract your, 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 your reaction. And so you just kind of like laugh nervously. It's like that moment where you're watching a movie and it gets to the last 10 minutes of the movie and this hero dies. And so you're sitting there, the credits are rolling up and you're like, this is a stink movie. I've wasted $50. I've wasted two hours of my life sitting here watching this movie and this guy dies. And then suddenly this final scene that actually interrupts the credits and then you realize wow this good guy is actually still alive and you got to watch you know the next the next movie or the next episode and then you realize wow you only had half of the story I remember this one time I came home from school one day and my older sister was there with um, uh, one of my nieces who was a baby at the time so I got you know changed showered came in as I was making my way to the lounge it was so quiet and I thought oh okay my older sister must be gone but I get to the lounge She's uh, must be asleep, but I get to the lounge. There's no one there. It's just my baby niece who's asleep in her like baby carry bed thing. And then there's this note on the table that says, Don, I've gone. And this note looks like she's just quickly ripped off a piece of paper and, and written the note on it. And so then I start to stress. I start to freak out. And I'm like, oh my goodness, she's done a runner. <laughs> My, my older sister's done a runner. How am I going to tell my parents that she's done a runner? How am I going to tell her husband that she's done a runner? And I looked at the kids and I was like, what about her kids? How on earth are we supposed to tell them that one day their mom decided to just up and gap it? And I'm like stressing out. I start crying. I'm so emotional. My nephew gets home. He's about eight, eight nine years old at the time. And then he goes, oh, what's wrong with you? Why are you crying? And I'm like, have you seen this note that your mom wrote? And he goes, oh, yeah, she's at the shop. <laughs> and then my older sister walks in. And I'm like, what kind of a stupid note is this? <laughs> you know, do you think this is funny? And she's like, yeah, I was at the shop. Nowhere on this note does it say you were at the shop. My nephew chimes in and he's like, no, 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 yeah, the note says you're, nowhere does it say that she was at the shop. My nephew cuts me off and he's like, oh yeah, no, because I was looking for somewhere to stick my gum. So I ripped off the note, stuck the gum in it, put it in my pocket and I chased after my mom who was on her way to the dairy. And I realized, wow, I was actually just responding to half of the story. But really, in that moment, I thought, 
you don't need to get a house of your own. You know, I'm done with you. <laughs> but we do it all the time. We live in light of just half the story. And if we're completely honest, we kind of do this in our Christian walk. We sometimes live in light of only half the story. And I can testify to this because for the longest time, I lived my life in light of Jesus' suffering, his crucifixion, and his death. And I'm not trying to downplay the suffering and the death of our Lord Jesus because the, the, the cross, this emblem that was once despised and symbolic of suffering and pain and death is now an emblem of salvation. It's symbolic of the healing of my soul, my deliverance out of darkness into his marvelous light. But the cross is only half the story. You see, my view of the Christian life was all about enduring suffering and enduring pain and enduring loss and constantly having to sacrifice and give things up. And I would always say, if I could just hold on a little bit longer until Jesus comes back, then I'll be fine. If I could just hold on to this pain, if I could just endure this hurt and endure the sickness and endure the suffering in my life that I'm living until Jesus comes back, then I'll be all good. I even started to believe and build my entire life around this false theology that said, the greater the sacrifice, the greater the negotiating power. That's some dangerous stuff. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the suffering, the greater the loss, the greater the pain, the more of a negotiation I can bring to the table when I begin to pray to God. Living in light of only half the story ultimately leads to death. It's like pouring out the puzzle pieces and working so tirelessly to put it together only to realize that half of the puzzle is missing. It's like getting to the end of a street only to find the road has been shut off and closed off because it's still in construction and not yet complete. And with that sense of incompleteness comes frustration, despair, anger, pain, suffering, hurt, purposelessness, uh, strife, a life that is without hope. But you see, the good news is you weren't created to live a life with just half of the story in mind. And so today I wanna to share a message that's titled Beyond the Cross. Beyond the Cross. Beyond the Cross, there is a burial. Beyond the Cross, there is a resurrection. Beyond the Cross, there is an ascension. And all of these things have great significance in the life of every single person who calls themselves a believer. I want you to consider the whole story. Number one, Jesus suffered. John 19, verse one to five. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, hail king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hand. Pilate then went out again and said to them, behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold, the man. Jesus suffered. The Bible says they scourged him. Another translation says that they had him whipped. They had him flogged. This was a brutal means of punishment. Scourging was an incredible, painful means of torture. And many, many scholars of the word say that the whip would have had multiple leather cords. And these whips would have had bits of sheep bone and sharp pieces of metal embedded throughout the cords. This instrument was designed to inflict the maximum pain a pain and blood loss. Jesus scourged every lash, ripping out pieces of his body, exposing flesh and bones. Jesus scourged, enduring the horrific pain as a crowd of onlookers just watched. The Bible says they placed a thorn, a crown of thorns on his head. 
They struck him with their hands. Our Savior, all of that blood loss would have made him weak. He would have been feeling excruciating pain, and he would have been unrecognizable. Further down in verse 17 of the same chapter, we read, And he, Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Our suffering Savior, bloodied, bruised, body broken, is now bearing his cross. He is carrying his cross to the place where they crucify him. Jesus suffered. We share in his suffering. That means that as that in our identifying with Christ, we will come under a measure of suffering like Paul in Colossians 1.24 because we live in a world that is hostile to our allegiance to Jesus. But that's not all. I want you to consider the whole story. Number two, Jesus died. John 19 verse 30 says this, when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Our Savior hanging on the cross. I can imagine that his loss of blood, his nervous tension and his exposure to the weather would have generated a a raging thirst. And the Bible says they gave him wine vinegar. And when he received it, he said, it is finished. And there he was the Savior who discharged perfectly the Father's purpose, the Savior who was triumphantly leaving the scene of his human struggle. Our Savior hanging on a cross, he bowed his head and died. We share in his death. The Bible says that we're united with Christ in his death. When Christ died, sin's penalty was paid. That means that in our identifying with Christ, we died to ourselves. But that's not all. I want you to consider the entire story. Number three, Jesus was buried. John 19, 41 to 42 says, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. The Bible says that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had to secretly ask permission to take Jesus' body to be buried. They wrapped his body with strips of linen, with spices, as was the custom of the day. And some scholars of the Bible say that the allusion to the Jewish day of preparation probably meant that they had to move quickly and fast to bury Jesus. And so our Savior, who suffered, who died, is now buried in a tomb. We share in his burial. The Bible says, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. And when Paul talks about baptism, he isn't just talking about a mere ceremony or a sacrament, but he's talking about a spiritual reality that to be baptized, to go through the waters of baptism is a picture of my old self being buried. Baptism expresses with finality the end of my old nature. And so we don't just share in Christ's suffering. We don't just share in his death. We share also in his burial. But that's not all. I want you to consider the whole story. Because number four, Jesus rose. John 20, verse one, it says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Mark's account says that the women, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James and Salome, they brought spices to anoint Jesus' body. They came walking over and they were asking themselves, who could possibly, you know, move the tomb from the, uh, move the stone from the mouth of the tomb? Uh, Matthew's account says there was a violent earthquake. The angel of the Lord had come down, 
rolled back the stone and sat on it. Luke's account says the woman arrived and they could not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they wandered about this, suddenly two men appeared in clothes that gleamed like lightning. They said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Our Savior who suffered, our Savior who died, our Savior who was buried is now our Savior who was risen. Yeah, 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 yeah. You see, we don't just share in his suffering. We don't just share in his death. We don't just share in his burial. No, we also share in his resurrection. And if you've only been living in light of half the story, I'm here to remind you that when Jesus went to the cross, he went as me. He suffered as me. He was crucified as me. He was buried as me. And he got up as me. Turn to the person next to you and say, he got up. He got up. He got up. He got up. You see, it's no wonder that Paul makes this connection in Ephesians. He says, and you, he made alive who were dead and trespasses and sins. When he died, I died with him. But when he got up, come on somebody, I got up with him. Glory to God. In other words, death has no more power over me. Sin's got no power over me. The grave's got no power over me because when I accepted Jesus as my Savior, I said to sin, I said to death, I said to the grave, you don't owe me no, I don't owe you no more. Jesus has paid it all. You ought to give him some praise up in that point there, eh? Jesus paid it all. The Bible says, even when you were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together. The poet George Herbert said it beautifully when he said, who would have thought that my shriveled heart could have recovered such greenness? It was gone quite underground. Church, you need to know today that he who dwelt underground on that cold Sabbath has come forth once again, and with him, God's powerful love revealed in all of its glory, bringing our hearts out of its own winter and into the fresh spring of Easter. You see, whilst I thank God for the cross, whilst I cherish the old rugged cross, whilst I make my boast in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, the cross is not where the story ends. He didn't just suffer and die and be buried and then the credits rolled up. No, that's not. That's only half of the story. Jesus suffered. He was crucified. He died. He was buried in the tomb and he rose again. We're not only made alive together with Christ, we are also raised up together with Christ. Jesus rose and so we share in his resurrection. But that's not all. I want you to consider the entire story because number five, Jesus ascended. Luke 24, 50 to 53 says, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. The whole story is that Jesus suffered. He died. He was buried. He rose again. And then he ascended into heaven. Paul says, we've been made alive together with Christ. We've been raised up together with Christ. And here it is. We've been seated together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That means that God, who has brought us into a relationship with him through Jesus, full of grace, full of mercy, has made a way whereby people like me and people like you and, uh, can, can live in light of the full story. And so as we come into relationship with Jesus, we not only experience the forgiveness of our sins, we not only get to experience life after death, 
But we also, in the present time, that means right here and now, we get to live life seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be seated in the heavenly places? Part of the answer to this is in the context of Ephesians 1, verse 20 to 23. And what is this exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. You see, in these verses, Paul explains that Jesus Christ has been exalted to a position of supremacy above all power, over all uh, dominions. Jesus is far above all principalities. He's far above all might. He's far above all power. He's far above every name that is named. And that is good news for you and me. Because it means that because of our union with Christ, we too share in his power and his authority over principalities, over powers, over authorities, and any spiritual power that you can think of. This is why when some people pray, they pray like they're warring against the devil. They're praying like they're in the middle of a fight. And so they're tearing things down in their prayers. They're breaking things. They're binding things up. They're exposing things. They're severing things. They're breaking generational curses. And to the simple-minded, this might seem like a whole bunch of gibberish. But when you know that you know that you don't just share in his suffering and in his death and in his burial, but when you know that you share in his resurrection and in his ascension too, you can't help but be seated in heavenly places. You can't help but step into your identity as a co-heir of Christ. You can't help but step into the same power, step into the same authority, step into the same position that you are seated in with Christ Jesus. Some of you didn't get it before, but you're getting it this morning. You thought you couldn't break free from the depression. You thought you couldn't break free from suicidal thoughts and the pornography and the manipulation and the witchcraft that seems to masquerade itself in cultural traditions and rituals. I came to let you know this morning that no power of darkness can overcome you because when you seat yourself in heavenly places, you're reminding that thing who the real boss is. You're reminding that thing that we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. You're reminding that thing that God gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're reminding that thing that God, the God we serve, will crush Satan under our feet. You're reminding that thing that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. You see, I haven't been to heaven yet, but I'm living in heavenly places. I'm thinking heavenly places. I'm walking in heavenly places. Y'all don't need to look for me in Otara. Don't look for me in East Tamaki. If you want to find me, look for me in the heavenly places where I'm seated in Christ Jesus. Amen. You won't find me bound in the same old stuff no more. You won't find me angry at the things that used to annoy me. You won't find me getting on it because I need another high. You won't find me giving myself away because I, I need to feel loved. You won't find me engaging in the things I used to do because I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And it's not by my own power. It's not by my own strength. It's not by my own doing, but it's in Christ Jesus. My dependence is in Christ Jesus. My victory comes in Christ Jesus. My ability to overcome sin is in Christ Jesus. Jesus ascended. And so we share in this ascension. 
in that we are seated in heavenly places. I want you to consider the whole story. You see, as I come to a close this morning, what I want you to realize is that to live your life in light of only half the story or only a little bit of the story is to live a life that's less than what God created for you. The truth is it can be so easy to just stop at Jesus suffering and his death and his burial like I did because it's familiar. It's tangible to us. We're no strangers to suffering. We're no strangers to loss. We're no strangers to pain. We're no strangers to death. And so it can be easy for us to stay here and sit here and live our lives here because we've all got a point of reference for suffering and for death and for burial. But the moment that you mention resurrection or ascension, we become stunned and unsure of what we're supposed to do. Sometimes there are things that we want to witness to that are totally out of sorts. You see, we've got no point of reference for resurrection. We've got no paradigm for resurrection. We've got no template for resurrection. Perhaps this is how the disciples would have felt. When they received report from two of the disciples who had seen Jesus after he rose, the Bible says that they were all locked in doors because they were afraid of the Jews. And I can just imagine the disciples not knowing what to do. They had no point of reference for resurrection. They would have been wrestling in their minds trying to figure out what had just taken place. The air would have been charged with silence. They would have tried to sort through their repertoire of emotions. No feeling would have been adequate, whether a moan or a groan or a sigh. Everything would have fallen short of, of saying, what is going on right now? And the Bible says that Jesus appears to them after he was raised from the dead. And it's fascinating what he does. You would think that Jesus would appear and he'd be like, guys, I'm alive. Instead, in Mark's account, he says that Jesus rebukes the disciples for their lack of, of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen Jesus after he rose. The disciples' lack of faith has caused them to become stuck at where Jesus used to be. He was no longer dead. He was no longer in the grave. He was risen. Let me ask you today, do you believe in the resurrection? Yeah, come on. Do you have faith to believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Do you believe in the resurrection? Because to believe in the resurrection is to live like you've been resurrected. To believe in the resurrection is to live like you're seated in heavenly places. Are you living like you've been resurrected? Or are you like the disciples, still stuck where he used to be? Or maybe you're like Thomas and you're saying, I'm going to need some, you know, some kind of proof that this whole Jesus thing, that this whole Jesus coming back to life thing, I'm going to need some, some sort of proof that it's all real. You need to know today that you don't need a point of reference. You don't need a paradigm or a template for the resurrection. Faith becomes your point of reference. Faith becomes your paradigm. Faith becomes your template for, for resurrection because faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things unseen. Faith is the firm confidence and expectation that God has, is now, and is going to perform all that He promised in His Word. A scholar of the Word put it this way, faith demonstrates to the eye of the mind the reality of the things that cannot be discerned by the eye of the body. In other words, faith is to the soul what all the senses are to the body. The Bible says that one of the disciples, Thomas, he wasn't in the room when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. And so the disciples start telling him that Jesus is alive. And Thomas says, I don't believe it. 
Not until I put my hand where his nail-scarred hands are, until I place my hand on the side that was pierced. I don't believe it. About a week later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples, and he says, actually, Thomas, come here. Reach out your hand and place your finger on my nail-scarred hands. Place your hand here on my side that was pierced. Thomas responded, and he said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Maybe you're here and you're like, yes, I believe in the resurrection. But what do I do when my life is full of chaos? I'm okay for a couple of months, but then I fall back into the same habits again. What if my life is nothing but a mess right now? I've been praying and praying, God, take this thing away. If that's you, you need to change your prayer from Lord, take this away to Lord, help me remember who I am in you. Lord, help me to remember I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And because of that, you will work through me by your power to overcome this. You need to know today that heaven spared no expense in the resurrection of Jesus. The fullness of the Godhead that said, let us make man in our own image is the same fullness of the Godhead that was committed to raising Jesus from the dead. And the same fullness has the power to get you up out of whatever and wherever you find yourself locked up and stuck in. So to every single person who's been walking the floor, pacing around, trying to respond to every little problem in your life, the Lord got me here today to tell you, be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When all hell is breaking loose in your life and the enemy is threatening to destroy you, be seated. When the enemy comes in like a flood, be seated. When trouble seems to be knocking at your door, be seated. When, you're, when pain is running amok in your body and you're trying to figure out what to do, you're not supposed to do a thing, be seated. Because when you sit down, God stands up. When you sit down, God takes over. When you sit down, God gets to work and you need to know you ought to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. It's your time to be seated. It's your time to rest in what God has promised you. It's your time to rest in the word that was spoken over your life. It's your time to let God fight your battles. It's your time to rest in his promise over your life. If God said it, that settles it. If God said it, it shall come to pass. If God said it, it's gonna happen. And if you've got faith to believe it this morning, you ought to give God praise in here. If I can ask the team to join me. You need to know Jesus didn't rise up and continue in his old life where death was a threat. Jesus rose up to the next dimension where death was no more. That means I'm no longer living my life in the grave dimension. I'm living my life in the resurrection dimension. I'm, I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this morning, I want to encourage you. And I want to say to you, consider the whole story. Jesus suffered. Jesus died. Jesus was buried, Jesus rose, and Jesus ascended. These aren't just events that produce benefits for believers. They're events in which every single believer is included. Ephesians 2, 4-7 says it. But God, who was rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning.
God, we thank you for your word. And God, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just be a people who stop at your suffering, Jesus. We wouldn't just be a people who stop at, your, at, at the cross or even at your burial. But Jesus, we would go all the way to the resurrection and ascension. We thank you, God, that we are a people who walk in victory because of all that Jesus died to give us. Thank you, Lord, for what you were doing in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Amazing message, eh? Amazing message. It's what we call the whole gospel. And you know, our response to that, if you want to identify with the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, Don said at the end, the gate is faith. The way is faith. Putting your faith and your trust in Jesus. And I believe that there's some people in the house this morning who need to do that. Perhaps you need to do it for the first time. Perhaps you need to put your faith in Jesus again. Or perhaps, like Don said, there are a few people in the house and your belief in Jesus stopped at the death and you need to say, oh no, I believe more than that. I believe in a Savior who is risen and seated at the right hand of the Father. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that message by saying, today I choose to put my faith in Jesus.